It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. Thank you, big voice guy. I appreciate you and I appreciate you tuning in, being part of News and Views, where we look at the news of the day, we unspin it a bit and we dig deep for the God story. We don't have to dig too deep. It's there and we're going to enjoy, you're going to enjoy today because we are not only taking on News and Views, another portion of My Michelle Live, we get into entertainment, but often those two mix. So, As culture goes, so goes its music. I think that's a fair statement. Music is almost a database for storing what's happening in the world, the mindsets of its people. The lyrics can reflect the language of our time, and it spans across culture. Music that speaks something here can reach far across the world, all the way to Jerusalem. Now, a view from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. (laughs) And a little musical interlude to introduce our beloved Rabbi, Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. He joins us with a view from Jerusalem as we talk about the power of music. Welcome, Rabbi. Thank you. Thanks for the musical interlude. <laughs> well, see, it, it's it's a powerful thing indeed. Just recently, you your office sent me pop star that I wasn't as familiar with, but is very popular in your area of the world. We're listening to a little bit of his music right now, Ishe. So I take it that you can't drive in your car and turn on the radio without hearing this his music. That's pretty much the case. And it's becoming the case not only all over Israel, but he did a large North American tour, sellouts in every city that he was in. But what's extraordinary about him is that he was swimming against the current of contemporary music. He, he's religious. His lyrics are religious. They're, they're profound. His music is very contemporary. His band are usual group of guitarists. He's a gifted mu- musician, but his audience is not what you would have expected it to be. His audience increasingly is completely secular. And sometimes the divide in Israel between secular and religious can be quite imposing. And yet there are major concerts that he's done in Israel where you couldn't find 10 people who were religious in the audience. Everybody's going for it. And he's not the only one out there. And there's something happening. I think you're sharing the New York Times article about him. It's like a whole page on him and others like him, who are giving a new religious meaning into life by sharing music that people can appreciate. And instead of balking and saying, hey, we want a secular country here, we don't even, we have too much religion as it is, he's melting hearts and bringing people together. Because music is the language of the people. 
it's a way to reach out, to speak one's heart. We have a void in music in particular. It's become increasingly vulgar, profane, sexualized, violence. And with, frankly, just on a secular note, it's just without hope. There's nothing there for uplifting. Not, in, increasingly as well, something interesting about music is... It, in pop culture, particularly here in the United States, there are basically six people who write all of the pop songs for all of the pop stars. They have the same repetitive beats. They modulate it so they all have something similar. And it's really a ploy or a marketing strategy, Rabbi, where if we get you hooked, then you'll buy the next album from these people and it really is just a marketing ploy and we go along with it and it's what we get used to but then something happens someone breaks the rules someone steps out of the mold and someone makes something that they create out of their own soul and it hits us and then we like it and that i think is a bit of what's happening with this artist and many others not only is it something different but that faith element is something different as well rabbi yeah no no question about it and i hope nobody in my neighborhood is listening but i've remarked many times that if we wanted to double the attendance of orthodox synagogues we would introduce black gospel. It's just <laughs> nothing like it to sing the praises of God. But you, you're hinting at something very positive and negative at the same time. It sounds like you're saying that music can be a tool that can break into people's hearts and introduce messages that they ordinarily wouldn't think of, but it can do the opposite as well. It's not just a question of marketing, it's marketing negativity. If if every Michelle out there who's preaching the God story, and then people were singing the Satan story. Yeah. You acculturate people to focus this universal love for music and musical expression and revolve around topics that are dark. Forget about the sexualization and just the sometimes the beat, the release, the just this descending into antinomian chaos, like we're free and we can scream in every direction and value discord instead of instead of harmony they're all messages that are so powerful and change the way people and this has been the art of contemporary culture that it's a relatively small handful of people who get effectively to brainwash the masses and it's true. Yeah, it's true. We have a lot of darkness. It's true. There's and it's per, pervasive, but it is also true that light shines the brightest when it is the darkest. So you have these beacons of truth and light, and they are so refreshing in pop culture. Now, you're talking about this pop star that's making a difference in in Israel, and even your statement, hey, we might have to I- introduce some gospel-style music because it, it, it's, it speaks to the masses, and it's funny. 
because a lot of our music is from so long ago in churches and synagogues. But when these songs were written, weren't they part of the pop culture? Possibly. It's a, a, the musicologists are still <laughs> trying to figure out what the sublime music was that accompanied the offerings in the temple. That, was, <laughs> that, that would be great. There was music what, in the temple. We, but were those, we're still trying to figure out. The, were those we're musical interludes, though, that, were, that was accompanied there, was it like cool music at the time? I'm just wondering. I'd like to ponder on that. And it's reminiscent of a movie and a time in the United States. Jesus Revolution is revolutionizing the film industry. as It's a surprise hit, touching on a movement in the 1970s of just average hippie people. And this counterculture, but within the counterculture, which was drugs, sex, rock and roll, Woodstock, there was another counterculture, and it was a Jesus culture. It was a religious uprising, and it came from the pop culture, and it was really writing on the back of music, musicians of the time, like Love Song, they were popular, Keith Green, others, were taking the music industry and just thumbing their nose at it and making Jesus songs, and they were popular. We still we still hear some of those to, today. They're called classic rock songs now. But this is a breath of fresh air in a time where we were finding love, make love, not war, and yet we were lost. This brought light, a beacon of faith. So the question I have for you, Michelle, is that the Jesus movement occurred at a time in America where looking back at it, you would have said that people were ripe for it. And the, the longing that was there and expressed in ways that were not entirely healthy when nobody knew it, there was a vacuum and it had to be filled. And the music worked because the receptivity was already there. So is it the music that's really, that's there ready to propel a change in American culture? Or does the openness to that change have to precede it? And that leads to a bigger question, and then I'll turn it over to you, which is, is it music itself that's uplifting? In other words, when you go to a prayer service of any religion that's accompanied by music, does the music work because there's this longing to express oneself to God? Or in some cases, is it only the music? And there's nothing else there, in which case it's not so much of a worship service, is it? No, it's not. We have a lot of that in Christian circles where I call it the Jesus is my boyfriend type music, where it, you can just, it's just, oh, I love you, but there, there's not necessarily biblical substance. An example is there was a 
we may have talked about this if I remember right. There was a, a AI that created worship. It was called JC, and it created a worship song, and it was beautiful and it was moving musically, but it lacked something. It lacked a soul and a biblical truth, if you will, something deeper. And that's what a lot of our culture is. You can have uplifting music. You can have inspirational films. You can have art that is just beautiful, and it's fine. But when you take it to what we call the God story, that's what puts it over the top. Are we ripe for it? Much like I said, where there is darkness, the light shines all the brighter. We aren't seekers. We don't, we're not seeking after God in some cases. But boy, when that light shines, it shines its light on our need for a relationship with God, that God created a vacuum inside of us that needs to be filled with him, with that relational God. I think that we see it. And if we look in the right direction and not turn to run deeper into the darkness, that light, that truth can set us free. Another way of looking at it, in opposition to that, is something that one of our 12th, 12th century philosophers by Yehuda Halevi, Spanish Jewish philosopher who wrote one of the most important works studied till this day. He has a brief consideration of music and he mourns over the fact that music in his day, 12th century mind you, right, this is a long time ago, has been degraded. He said it used to be that music had the power of tapping into the most sublime, elevated feelings and thoughts of man. And today it's just become entertainment. Ooh, wow. (laughs) And yet, maybe in that entertainment culture, we've become a bit vapid. We've lost a bit of our depth. Good point. And interesting, until about the 17th century, the history of Western art was largely congruent, identical with the history of the of Western ecclesiastical and religious art. So it wasn't until this century that that art and religion just really don't, they don't belong together anymore. Music and faith, they don't belong together anymore. God has been canceled and deplatformed in every area, but we see the history of people and a history of faith written out through artists, through those creations, and even through music and many other artistic expressions. Absolutely. And we can go back a lot further than the Middle Ages and the and the patrons of the arts all insisting on religious themes. You go back to the very first chapters of Genesis, where in that long genealogy, which everybody kind of skips and he <laughs> and expegat why, and he was the first marshmallows over a campfire. Marshmallows over the campfire isn't there. But a lot of those are, and if you read it carefully, you'll see that every one of those, every one of those people introduced something that became an important part of civilization for the next millennia. One of the people who's mentioned is Tuval Kayan. Tuval Kayan. I don't know how King James renders it, 
But he was, uh, the Bible says he was the first one to pick up a, a harp and, uh, and strum. So, uh, he's not the inventor of ukulele. Like, the, the Bible means something deeper there. And you find that if you look at the, the half step for him, he was related to somebody who essentially took pastoral farming and put it on steroids. There's a person there who was introduced as the first one who sat in tents and pastured sheep. How do you pasture sheep from a tent? The idea being that this guy had it figured out. He wasn't just going to walk around looking for a, a, a plot of grass for his sheep. He's going to hire out 100 shepherds and direct the operation from his tent and turn it into big business. That, we can assume, generated profits. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, who I've mentioned many times in this era, in this program, one of my heroes from 19th century Germany, points out that you don't really find the arts making it to the human scene until there's discretionary capital around. And who revolutionized the pastoral society and people now are making money and there's discretionary capital. Now you have patrons of the arts. It's, it, that's the first, that's the first reference to it. And then you have so much more in the Bible, not just Psalms, all of them set to music, but the idea that Saul the king, when he was dealing with his, his mental condition and the only thing that could calm him was David and David playing for him. It, music is front and center in the Bible. So we still have to get to the question of what's the fuller story? What is what? Why did God create us this way? Why is music so important? What does it tell us about ourselves or how does God want us to use it? The power in it is essential. You think of the story in Judges where Gideon defeats an army, but what did they do? They just sent out the praise and worshipers and they're out there getting their praise on and suddenly the army's slain. So there is power in music, but then we're also taught in the Bible that the dark side that you had mentioned comes from a very powerful source and that Lucifer was the minister of music before coming to his fallen demise. So there you go. There's some power there in music. So no wonder music can be used for such nefarious reasons. No wonder it can be twisted and used to lead a generation astray. But it can also be used in powerful ways. And there is something really powerful in, in worshiping God in music and songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to God. That, that changes you fundamentally singing out the quite often I pray and will sing the Psalms it, it is it is powerful praying God's word speaking out God's word it makes a difference in my life in my world in my faith and the way that I proceed forward and the way I perceive the world around me in the Bible itself in the first five books of the Hebrew of Hebrew scripture moments of absolutely essential triumph 
are accompanied by song. Think mm, of yeah. the Israelites passing through the sea. And it's the longest song in the Bible, but there are a few more, including Miriam's song later about, about the water provided for them in the desert. Every time they come to a recognition beyond anything that they dreamt of before about who God was and how he acts and how close we are to him, the reaction is song. The Talmud, Hezekiah, would have been the Messiah, but he didn't bring his generation to song. It, it, a couple of notes that he lacked or an inability to rap. It was, as you say, tapping into this power. I'm going to venture a guess, and you're, you'll tear it down if you like. But at the risk of sounding simplistic, much of the power of music comes from the power of emotion. Ideas are important. Ideas engage. We live and die for ideas. But there's an engine that God created with us to transform ideas into life. That engine is emotion. They're positive emotions, they're negative emotions, and the key to those emotions is music. I concur. Lock the energy of those emotions. And I'm glad you concur, but it does have one, one piece of fallout. And that is that there are many people out there who will confuse music, and the arts in general, with spirituality. Because music is uplifting, believe anything that's uplifting is spiritual. So yeah, my grandparents found spirituality in the church or synagogue. I find spirituality by reading this poetry, or by looking at a sunset, or hiking in the high Sierras. They're both important, but they're not the same. No, indeed, they are not. And there's something interesting about that, because I wrote this book, Find Your Voice. And Find Your Voice talks about the your superpower, your passion, fine-tuning it and unleashing it. You were created for such a time as this, we should say, we could say. Your voice is important. There are people that need to hear whatever passion God is stirring in you. Now, the idea is that there are four things that every message needs, Rabbi. It needs to be entertaining, engaging, inspirational, and informative. The Bible is rife with all of these things. If you are just entertaining, which is very musical or arts, then you sometimes lack the information that is vital to stabilize your message. It just is emotions unfettered we see that a lot in our society but i feel this yes i understand that but it's not true <laughs> it's not factual you just feel it so you have to have every one of those and i would argue that the four gospels are written each one in one of those communication styles entertaining engaging informative inspirational it, 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 they have a different bent uh, and without going into the ins and outs of it 
there is an importance to having that emotion. God created these emotions, didn't he, after all? So there's an importance to them, but left without the information and the stability, the truth, that means nothing. Left without a message of, okay, what do I do with this now? Then you just feel good for a moment and then you move on. So it really needs to have all of the elements Otherwise, it's an incomplete message. There's nothing wrong with that sunset hike that you mentioned. But if you walk away and say, oh, that was a lovely sunset without thinking about who created that sunset, then you're missing out on the big picture. And one of the reasons for that is that we are complex beings. And as much as some people live for the moment of unfettered emotional release, that would work if emotional, if our emotional selves were the most important or the only significant <laughs> part of ourselves. But it's not. But it's not. As much as people try to escape some other parts, especially the rational, because it, because sometimes it hurts too much to think. You, you don't really speak to the entire person unless you have those other components there as well, including, including the mind. The mind's a powerful thing. And that also has to be brought into it. So as you say, music that can put both of them together is going to have a different effect and it's going to be a much more positive. And that is the beauty of how we were created in our age, whether it's music or each one of us as individuals. I say, Rabbi, that we are walking incomplete if we don't have if we don't utilize all of the elements that God's given us for life and for communicating. I'm a singer-songwriter. I don't know if you know that, but I was so excited to talk about music because it it speaks my heart. You are absolutely right. When there is a big moment in my life or I'm overwhelmed or I've seen something great that God's done, I am so filled that I just want to write a song. I want to sing it out. I want to tell that tale. And that's one of my voices, if you will. It's astounding. But without that completion, we're walking in a way that just sells us short of what life can really be. And dare I say, Rabbi, that really brings us to, well, the God story. Yeah, and uh, we're only scratching the surface. It's, there's more to it than that. The, the Bible des- describes God's court uh, with angels singing and playing instruments. What does he need it for? It talks about the celestial music, the music of the spheres, somehow that has something to do with the harmony of creation, which we've almost lost the capacity to see because all we see is this chord and this harmony. Mm. And behind the whole thing, there is a harmony. I know not all forms of music depend on it or even like it, but apparently harmony, the fact that we have our eight-tone music and then there's ten, 10 tone especially in eastern music those are not accidents they reflect mathematical realities notes are and certainly octaves are pro- products of, of the ones that are lower the fact that there's a kind of synergy and order and, and order and order so much of our music 
reflects a different kind of reality, the one that's closer to us. But we shouldn't forget about the music that still does speak about, about beauty and harmony and order. That's an important place to investigate. Rabbi, I think now that we're coming to the end of the program, I just want to, like, after we say our goodbyes, I think I want to go pick up my guitar and just worship <laughs> for a while. <laughs> Get my praise on. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it's glorious as we come to the end of our program today. Truly don't say that in jest. I'm inspired. I love when we get together and we talk about the God story from different angles, but we're talking about the same great God. And I always leave our time together, uplifted, inspired, and a little deeper in my faith. And that's why I appreciate you and our listeners' mail reflects that as well. That's why I call you our beloved rabbi, because that's what everyone calls you when they write. It's your title now. Thank you very much. And thank you for bringing a little joy of music into the broadcast today. God bless you. Thank you for your kind words. And thank you for watching, listening, viewing, like us, share us, and go get your praise on. <laughs> More news and views at mymichellelive.com.